Listening to I Love Old Time Radio with your host, Virtual Vinny. It's a new week here on I Love Old Time Radio. Welcome, Old Time Radio fans. I'm your host, Virtual Vinny. You can interact with us via social media on our Facebook page at I Love Old Time Radio or on Twitter at I Love OT Radio. You can send feedback via our contact form on our website at I Love Old Time Radio.com or you can leave a voice message using the Anchor.fm app. If you enjoyed this program, please take the time to rate and review us at review.iloveoldtimeradio.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little, or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode is brought to you in part by the I Love Old Time Radio Patreon page. As a Patreon member, you'll help me continue to bring all these great Golden Age shows, upgrade our equipment, keep the website going, and more. Plans start at just $2 a month, but if you pledge $6 or more, you get access to the Vintage Radio Podcast, a look at series that were an hour or more that include Lux Radio Theater, CBS Radio Mystery Theater, and the Mercury Theater on the air, just to name a few. This week on the Vintage Radio Club, Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the air Bring Charles Dickens' historical story to life. It's set in London and Paris before and during the French Revolution. The story of a French doctor, his 18-year-long imprisonment in the Bastille in Paris, and his release to live in London with his daughter, whom he had never met. It's called The Tale of Two Cities. To listen, join our Patreon page at vintage.iloveoldtimeradio.com. I Love Old Time Radio producing a new show every Monday through Friday each day with a different theme. Monday's Crime Does Not Pay on The Shadow. This episode originally aired on November 9th, 1941, and it's called The Organ Played at Midnight. Adventures of the Shadow are on the air. Brought to you each week at this time by your neighborhood Blue Coal dealer. These dramatizations are designed to demonstrate forcibly to old and young alike that crime does not pay. Don't blame the weatherman when a sudden unexpected freeze catches you unprepared, your home insufficiently heated. Guard against that happening. Fill your coal bin right now with Blue Coal the quality home fuel of low cost. With your bin filled with blue coal, you're prepared for any kind of weather. Order a supply of blue coal right away and get a whole bin full when you order so there won't be any chance of being caught by a possible shortage. 
Today, there is a plentiful supply, but who can say what changes the future may bring? Put in your winter supply of blue coal right now and be safe. The Shadow, mysterious character who aids the forces of law and order, is in reality Lamont Cranston, wealthy young man about town. Several years ago in the Orient, Cranston learned a strange and powerful secret, the secret of hypnotic power to cloud men's minds so that they cannot see him. Cranston's friend and companion, the lovely Margot Lane, is the only person who knows to whom the voice of the invisible shadow belongs. Today's drama, The Organ Played at Midnight. A knife. What an instrument a knife is. <laughs> Have you ever watched a knife in the hands of a skillful surgeon? And did you shiver a little, then turn your eyes away? Yes, so did I. I remember exactly when it happened to me. I was watching the knife in the hands of Dr. Alexander Gibson. Gibson was a surgeon of the highest caliber. Even Professor Dana Williams spoke of him as one of the three most capable men he had ever had the honor to teach, thus ranking him with his colleagues, Dr. McGill and Dr. Nelson. How strange the thought of violence should have occurred to me. Stranger still, considering that it was the very next night Gibson burst into McGill's study. Heated words passed between the two, and then... This case was to have been the most startling in my surgical career, Dr. McGill. You forget that the patient asked to have me in attendance, Gibson. I never agreed to a consultation. I presumed on our friendship You and... presumed on our friendship for the last time, McGill. That's the way you want it, eh? Yes, that's the way I want it. Then you'll get the truth. You are bungling the case like a schoolboy. Old Williams would have fired you out of class for the job you were doing. Oh, so I'm to gather that you saved the situation. Exactly. So the credit is yours, eh? Belongs to you. Every bit of it. Well, doesn't it, Gibson? Well, can't you speak? I haven't anything else to say. Oh, you agree with me then? Good night, McGill. I've tried to be reasonable with you. I said good night. All right. Good night then. But remember, we're not parting as friends, Gibson. And we're not parting forever either, Dr. McGill. Well, I'll have something to say about this at the medical board. Oh, no, no, I shouldn't let myself go like that. Nerves don't stand it well, not at all. Sedative is what I need. Yeah, what's that? Oh, the shade. Hmm. Jumpy, jumpy, unsettled. If I were my own patient, I'd... Someone at the door. Well, who's there? Well, who is it? Can't you hear me? Well, didn't you... Oh, you. Oh, I thought that you were... You have a knife there. Did you know you had a knife in your hand? Oh, it's some kind of a joke, isn't it? You're playing a joke on me, aren't you? Aren't you? Answer me. Answer me. Well, what are you going to do? No. No, don't come any closer. Well, what are you doing? Stop it. Stop it. Oh, oh you fool. You're cutting my arm. Ah! <laughs> a knife. What an instrument a knife is. Now a tool. Now a weapon. But its point goes deep, and the knife is always thirsty. And after the shrieking thrust in the dark, there is silence and a shroud. 
and the black drapery of the march of death hangs heavy in the startled air. Lamont, I want to get away from the sound of it. Of what, Professor Williams? The funeral march. It depresses me. You can understand what a shock Dr. McGill's death has been to you, Professor Williams. A deep shock, Miss Lane. I won't forget it soon. Is there anything we can do, sir? Thank you, Cranston. Thank you. You always were one of the kinder fellows. <laughs> you were never too interested in my classes, I'm afraid, but you were always a good chap. So was poor McGill, a fine, bright boy. Yes, Professor. But that anyone could kill him and not be content with that, go to the horrible extreme of amputating his right arm, I, I can't bear to think of it. Perhaps we'd better not, sir. Yes, yes, you're right, you're right. After all... My life goes on. There'll be new men for me to teach. I'm glad of that. And I'm glad to have you beside me today, Cranston. Thank you, Professor. It would be good, too, to have Gibson and Nelson with us. They're all that's left of McGill's famous triumvirate. Well, I'm sure they're here, sir. We must have missed them. Gibson isn't, I know. He called me. Couldn't come, he said. Oh, but see here, I, I've been rather gloomy company, I'm afraid. Uh, how would the two of you like to take the five o'clock train back to the college with me? Oh, nice of you, Professor. The homecoming football game is being played this afternoon. And if victory is ours, we should be just in time for the bonfire celebration. Well, we'd like to very much, but it's rather a long trip, and, uh, well, we hadn't planned on it, Professor Williams. If we'd known... I only thought that we should be together on a day like this. Professor Williams! What was that? Well, someone called my name. Professor Williams! Oh, it's uh, Dr. Nelson. Uh, good morning, my boy. Uh, you know Mr. Cranston. Professor Williams, I think I deserve an explanation. What's that, Nelson? I don't understand this wire you sent me, sir. The wire I sent you? I haven't had any reason to wire you, Nelson. One never has a reason for such a thing as this. Listen to what it says. Take a good look at Dr. McGill and his coffin, Nelson, for you'll be the next to be wept for. What? Signed? John Smith. You don't know a John Smith, of course. Of course not. But you thought I had sent that, Nelson? Why? The postmark. It was sent from the college telegraph office. It was? What time? 8.45 this morning. I've been in the city since 7. Well, of course, sir. Someone else sent this little love note, and they didn't mean it for a joke. Well, what do you think, Lamont? I think that if Professor Williams' invitation to go back to the college with him is still open, the three of us would be very wise to take it. Well, here we are, sir. From the looks of things, victory was ours. I'll take care of the cat. Professor Williams. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. Good evening, sir. Who won the game? We did, sir. Oh, we're building a swell bonfire, sir. Ah. If you should have been at the game, Professor. You'd have enjoyed it. I would have very much, Tompkins. But there was something I had to do which I didn't enjoy at all. I want to congratulate you men, and I want you to know that I'm proud of you. Things haven't changed much, have they, Nelson? They haven't changed at all, Cranston. He's still the idol of every boy here. Shall we go inside now? I think Anna, my housekeeper, will have a cup of tea for us. Uh, goodbye, gentlemen, and let the flames leap high for the conquering hero. There isn't much for you younger folk to do in a little college town like this, but... I am going to perform quite an interesting post-mortem examination for my anatomy class tomorrow, and I thought perhaps you'd like to be in the amphitheater. Well, Yes, I... Professor, but of course. On, on second thought, I, I realize that Miss Lane and you might not find it altogether to your taste. Why, Margo and I would like very much to come, wouldn't we, Margo? Why, well, yes, yes, we, yes, I'd love to. Well, how about you, Dr. Nelson? I? 
Why, Cranston, the day will never come when I won't be able to learn something from Dana Williams. Thank you, Nelson. You're welcome to my home. Thank you, Professor. Anna! Anna! Oh! Oh, you're back, Professor. Uh, yes, Anna. What about a pot of tea and some biscuits? Oh, yes, sir. Uh, ready in a jiffy, sir. Oh. What is it, Anna? Uh, well, I, I was just wondering what it was you wanted done with it, sir. Uh, was it left out to be sharpened? What is that, Anna? Uh, your knife, Professor. My knife? Why, all of my knives are in my kit in the laboratory. But when I come in to clean up just after you left, there it was shining up at me plain as day. Uh, where is it, Anna? Uh, right in the study on top of the desk, sir. Professor Williams, do you mind if I have a look at it? Why, no, no, of course not. Uh, come along, Nelson. Right. I don't understand it. Anna's right. There it is, just as she said. Uh, may I see it, sir? Of course, Cranston. Oh. Professor Williams. Yes, my boy. Look here, on the back of the blade. Initials. Why, they're A.G. A.G.? Why, Nelson, that's... Alexander Gibson? Oh, no, no. M Miss Lane, would you answer that for me, please? Yes, of course, Professor. Hello? Hello? Oh, yes, he's here. It's for you, Dr. Nelson. Oh, thank you. Hello? Yes? Uh, what? How long? I see. Thank you very much. Professor Williams. Yes, Nelson. That was my office in town. They've been phoning all day about Gibson. He's been missing, it seems, ever since the night poor McGill was murdered. Well, gentlemen, looks like the bonfire's begun. Gee, this amphitheater's cold. Yeah, sure is. I wanted to sleep this morning, anyhow. If you miss his post-mortems, old Williams will never forget it. Uh, not losing your nerves, are you, Margot? Well, not yet. I can't say that the sheeted form there on the table is helping me very much, though. After all, it's just an examination, Margot. If you keep remembering that it's all in the interest of science, you won't get uneasy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wonder where Dr. Nelson could be. Well, he must have overslept, I guess. I thought doctors had to be punctual. <laughs> Old Williams will be punctual. <laughs> See? What did I tell you? <laughs> Gentlemen, good morning. Precisely according to schedule. <laughs> the subject for our post-mortem this morning is the cadaver of a man of middle age in an excellent state of preservation. Uh, Jennings, will you remove the sheet? Uh, yes, Professor Williams. It will form a most satisfactory subject for our investigations. Jennings. Jennings, I'd like the sheet removed from the entire body, not just the head. Oh. Jennings. Oh, Professor Williams. What are you staring at, man? Oh, Professor Williams. What is it, Jennings? What is it? Margot, what's happening down there? I can't quite see. Jennings has the sheet halfway down, but he's leaning over the table. Jennings, what's happened to you? Williams is pulling him away. Margot, look! Oh. On the table! Oh, oh Lamont! It's... Dr. Nelson! Nelson, my boy! In a moment, we'll bring you Act Two of The Organ Played at Midnight. Meanwhile, here's an idea that has no mystery to it at all. Order a supply of blue coal and you'll enjoy comfortable, even warmth throughout your home 
no matter what fiendish tricks the cruel winter weather plays. Let the icy winds whistle and blow all they like. You'll be warm and snug and at your ease when you heat with blue coal. Yes, sir, at your ease is just right because blue coal takes the effort right out of home heating. You see, blue coal is delivered to your home in exactly the right size for your heating plant. Then on top of that, the new automatic blue coal heat regulator saves you all those damper adjusting trips. Just naturally cuts them right out because you see, it automatically opens and closes the dampers on your furnace and keeps every room constantly at an even temperature. You'll agree when you see how it works that every home should have one. Get in touch with your reliable neighborhood blue coal dealer right away. Tell him you want him to come out to the house and talk over your heating situation. You'll find him courteous, up to the minute, well-informed. A world of improvement over the ordinary old-fashioned type of dealer. Your blue coal dealer is a heating expert and a businessman. He's listed under the words blue coal in the yellow section of your classified phone directory. Call him tomorrow. And now, back to the shadow. Oh, oh, Cranston. Miss Lane, where are we? It's all right, Professor. You're at home. You've been delirious. Oh, oh yes, I remember now. I see it all. Oh, Cranston. Yes, Doctor. Can you... Is it possible for you to conceive the monster who could murder both McGill and Nelson in the space of a few days? Uh, uh, Margot, will you get that, please? There's an extension in the next room. Yes, Lamont. Well, Professor, was it necessarily the work of the same man? Lamont, with my last consciousness before I fainted, I realized that Dr. Nelson's body had the right forearm off the elbow, just as it was with poor McGill. You're quite right, Professor. Obviously, the... Same hand held the knife. We must stop that hand, Cranston. We must stop it. Easy now, sir. You, you must try to relax. What can we do, Lamont? Well, uh, tell me, Professor, who exactly had access to the room where the cadavers are kept? Who? Why, only myself. Uh, that is, except for old Jennings. Professor Williams, old Jennings has disappeared. Oh, no. He's nowhere to be found. Oh, now, he, he had nothing to do with it. Jennings has been with me for 20 years. Besides, I examined the body carefully in the morgue before I had him wheel it up to the amphitheater. And it wasn't the body of Dr. Nelson? Oh, no, I'm sure of that. I'm absolutely sure. Then it means that the murderer substituted the body of Dr. Nelson somewhere between the morgue and the amphitheater. Lamont, that phone call. Oh, what was it, Margot? I don't know. You don't know? No. It was a strange voice. A voice I'd never heard before. And it sounded muffled, far away. I said, hello, and... Whoever it was said that... Oh, it doesn't make sense. Miss Lane, what did they say? Well, they said, if the organ plays tonight at midnight, the lost will be found. Nothing more than that? No. They must have hung up or been cut off. That was all. What could they mean? If the organ plays at... Go on, Professor. What was that? That noise. I heard it, too. There's something banging outside the window. Oh, only a loose blind. There are no blinds on those windows. No? Lamont, my boy, be careful. Yeah, there it is again. Oh, Lamont. Lamont. Don't excite yourself, Professor Williams. Margot, don't look out here. What is it, Lamont? Professor Williams. Yes, Cranston. It's... Cranston, tell me, tell me. 
A human forearm. Human? Oh, oh no, no. What earthly reason could there be for such a horror? Wait a minute. There's a note tied to the index finger. Rather a garish way to post a letter, but I think it's the reason for this ghastly tableau. A note? What does it say? Just a moment. It says... It says the gates of death will open for you in an hour. The gates of death? Well, that's what's written here. It's meant for me. <coughs> oh, what was that? It's Anna. She's downstairs in her room. Something's happening. Easy now, Professor. I'll tend to it. <coughs> All right, Anna. I'm coming. <coughs> Anna! This is Mr. Cranston. Let me in. Oh, Mr. Cranston. I saw him. I saw him. You saw who, Anna? Who did you see? Him. What done the murders? Who? Gibson. I just raised my window and I looked out and yeah. there he was coming across the lawn. There's no one out here now. Oh, he must have run when I screamed. Do you know what, Mr. Cranston? I thought I saw him the day... the day after poor Dr. McGill was murdered. Where? Standing there just as plain as day. And, and I said to myself, I'll bet he's up to no good. That Anna, time. this is very important. Now tell me, where did you see him? In front of the gates of death. What did you say? I said I saw him in front of the gates of death. He was the standing... The gates of death? Oh, oh, that's new since you've been here, isn't it? Well, uh, that's what some of the students started calling that big pair of iron gates at the back of the morgue. Uh, the ones they bring the corpses through. You see, I was on my way to do uh, some I'm sorry, shopping. Anna. I'll talk to you later. Oh, Margot! Margot! Yes, what is it? The light is breaking, Margot. Come on, my girl. We've got work to do. What time was the note delivered, Margot? It was just 10.30, Lamont. Uh, 11.25. I think we're just on time. On time for what? To see the gates of death open. Lamont, are you out of your head? Here, duck down behind the wall here. You see those huge gates at the rear of the morgue building? Yes. The students call them the gates of death. The gates of... Why, then that's what the note meant. It said they would open it. Look, they are opening now, Margot. There's someone standing there. Why, it's... Old Jennings. That's where he's been hiding. Listen, he's signaling somebody. Now someone should turn up. I hear somebody walking. There he is, coming down the path. He's going to the gates. Who is it? I... I can't quite see, Margot. But this I do know. Jennings and his friend are going to receive a visit. From the shadow. Uh, you follow me, and we'll go inside together. I sent you the note I had to. They think I done it. I know they does. Why shouldn't they think you did it, Jennings? Hey, uh, what's that? Oh. Why, you're not. I'm Dr. Gibson, Jennings. Oh, I thought you... I've was... come to look at Dr. Nelson's oh, body. Oh, no, no, you ain't allowed I to... warn you, Jennings, there's enough on my head now. Don't interfere with me. All right, all right, don't hurt me. I won't do nothing. Where's the body? Uh, right in through the door there. And come along. Oh, you go first. All right, I'll go first, but I warn you, if you try any... Oh! oh. You want me to tell... You want to know all about what happened, but I ain't going to tell. Not ever. Not ever. <laughs> yeah, what's that? Jennings, what have you to hide? Oh, who's that? Who's there? I don't see nobody. I am the shadow, Jennings. I've cast a hypnotic spell over your brain so that you cannot see me. But I'm here, Jennings. Tell me, 
What have you to hide? Oh, I can't tell you. They put me in prison if anybody found out. He told me they would. Who, Jennings? Professor Williams. Williams? Jennings, tell me what happened. Tell me. Oh, I didn't mean no harm. You see, I put an explosive in one of his test tubes by mistake. Explosive? Yes. And the next thing I knew, there was a loud noise and he screamed. And there he stood with his arm hanging loose. That was 20 years ago. And he'd have been a great doctor all this time if I hadn't done what I did. Why did you send that note tonight, Jennings? Because he promised to help me if I did as he always said. And I always have, I have. Oh, now what am I going to do? He hurts him every time he looks at the students. And sometimes he used to whisper to me, they all have two arms. Tell me this one thing more. Which arm was it, Jennings? His right arm. His right forearm. It looks all right, but it's dead from the wrist to the elbow. Jennings, take care of Gibson until he regains consciousness. Then let him go. And remember, the shadow is watching you. That's the answer to the note. Old Jennings. But Lamont, there's still... What? That phone call. If the organ plays at midnight, the lost will be found. Remember? Of course I do. That's why I've walked you over to the chapel. The chapel? Unless I'm mistaken, the organ they meant is the big pipe organ in the loft of the chapel here. And if it plays at mid... Midnight. Hurry, Margot. We don't want to be late for the concert. I'm coming. Look. The chapel door. It's open. There's someone here. See? A light. It's coming from the organ loft. Margot, I think we've come to the end of the trail. There it is. The funeral march we heard at the church yesterday. The one old Williams said depressed him so. I'm going up there, Margot. The killer hasn't quite finished his work, I'm afraid. The organ... It stopped. I think trouble's coming. <laughs> Lamont, I think it's a ride. It has, Margot. You wait here. There's work to be done up there in that loft, and only the shadow can do it. Let me go. I know you killed Nelson McGill. You stole my knife out of my office to pin your crimes on me. But you won't get away with it. <laughs> won't I, Gibson? Who's going to stop me? I will. I telephoned you about the organ because I knew you'd fall in the trap. I knew you'd come to kill me, too, to get rid of the last of us to feed your insane lust. Right again, Gibson. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Why should you little men live while I, the genius of my time, rot here, crippled and deformed? I've had only my left arm these 20 years, but it's strong now, and I've used it well. It's too strong for you to stop the knife, Gibson. <laughs> oh, I can't. I can't stop it. Please. Please don't. Uh, Gibson, the point don't. is on your throat. Oh, drop that knife, Professor Williams. Who's there? <laughs> Who's there, I say? I am the shadow. I am invisible to you, but I have come to put an end to your killings, Williams. Oh, no. No, you haven't. Not until I've finished with Gibson. Not yet. Help. Help. I want you, Williams. My arm. Court of justice. No court would convict me. I've had a right to do what I've done. I lost my arm, didn't I? An eye for an eye, an arm for an arm. 
You see? That's just a shadow, and no court would find me guilty. Dana Williams, this jury has found you guilty of murder in the first degree. And I, by virtue of the authority vested in me, sentence you to be hanged by the neck until you are dead. And may the Lord have mercy on your soul. A knife. What an instrument a knife is. The treacherous implement that turns to a weapon in the hands of murder. When it's a thing of good and when it's a thing of evil, none can say. But this we know. A knife is sharp. Its point goes deep. And a knife is always thirsty. In a moment, we'll bring you this week's real-life episode proving that crime does not pay. First, I'm sure you'll be interested in hearing from Blue Coal's distinguished home heating expert, John Barclay. Mr. Barclay. Thank you. Friends, I've been receiving quite a few letters lately that indicate some of you are making the operation of your furnace a much harder job than it should be. Harder, did I say? Well, I should say hard, because really it's easy to operate a furnace properly if you know how. Yes, of course, that's the catch to it. In these days especially, with the weather so changeable, it's necessary to know how to regulate dampers and bank a fire the right way. Now, here's an answer to your heating problem. Call your neighborhood blue coal dealer and ask him to send a John Barclay serviceman to your house to show you all the ins and outs of managing a furnace. No obligation. In fact, you might tell him that you heard me personally extending the invitation this is his program, you know, your blue coal dealer, so it's really the same as getting an invitation directly from him. Tell him you heard the program. Make a note now to call him tomorrow. He's listed under the words blue coal in the yellow section of your classified phone directory. Find out firsthand how much easier and more economical it is to heat your home the blue coal way. Thank you. Today's program is based on a story copyrighted by the D.L. and W. Coal Company, producers of Blue Coal. The characters, names, places, and plot are fictitious. Any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Direct from real life, we now bring you conclusive proof that crime does not pay. At 2 a.m. in a hotel room hideout, police waited one day last week for Joseph Miller, Wanted for two murders. At last came the long-awaited knock on the door. It's Joseph Miller. Remember, boys, he's dangerous. If he pulls a gun, shoot fast and straight. I'm going to open the door. Halt! Halt! He's on the fire escape. Call headquarters. i got to hide. Quick. What's behind this window? Oh, big dining room. Black, they'll never find me here. <laughs> Your crimes have caught up with you, Joseph Miller. One hundred police are closing in on you right this instant. No, I ain't gonna let them get me. I can't stand it. I'll kill myself. So, in the wide, haunting blackness of an empty banquet hall, Joseph Miller, criminal, 
died by his own hand. The weed of crime bears bitter fruit. Crime does not pay. The shadow knows. <laughs> Next week, same time, same station, your friendly blue coal dealer brings you another strange and thrilling adventure in the shadow's daring battle against the forces of evil. Be sure to listen. And be sure to phone your neighborhood blue coal dealer for greater heating comfort at less cost. Remember, keep the home fires burning with blue coal. You're listening to I Love Old Time Radio with your host, Virtual Vinny. Welcome back. Anyone else confused by that one? I left that one feeling like, uh, huh? And that's going to conclude our show here on I Love Old Time Radio. This program can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and our host, Anchor.fm. For a full list, visit our website at iloveoldtimeradio.com and find the best location that suits you. You can also listen to us on your Alexa device through TuneIn or iHeartRadio. Like us on Facebook at I Love Old Time Radio. Follow us on Twitter at I Love OT Radio. Comments and questions can be directed to our website at iloveoldtimeradio.com or leave a voice message using the Anchor.fm app. If you'd like to help support this show, you can do so with a one-time donation or join our Patreon page at support.iloveoldtimeradio.com. Tomorrow we'll be playing a new episode of Our Miss Brooks and join us back next Monday for some more with The Shadow. For iloveoldtimeradio.com, this is Virtual Vinny signing off.